Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I just want to give you a heads up that we are recording this in a different mode today because Nick is in the studio. Sound quality isn't going to be what we typically shoot for. Our apologies. Enjoy the podcast. Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. We learned a painful lesson as we watched a dream pass into memory last night. Hope is inextricably tied to expectations. As much as we lowered our expectations for the game against the NFL's analog to Sherman's army in its march to the sea, as much as we tried to shield ourselves from the pain of a potential fourth loss in five games and the demise of a playoff possibility, hope began to sprout as the Steelers took the lead late in the third quarter and were surging toward another score. And then that hope was abruptly stomped and ground like a smoldering cigarette butt into the dirt by another critical Steeler turnover. It's December 24th, 2018, episode 71. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Happily, Nick is home for Christmas and joins me in the command center. As much pain as it is to relive yesterday's game, you know, we've got to stare this in the eye and make sense of what happened and revive the hope that we lost with that last fumble as it popped out of Juju's hands. It's crushing defeat for possibly the Steelers team MVP right there on the end of that game, but there's a lot of things that led to that point. So I think I have spewed enough hatred um, in every single hour since the game occurred so that now I've gotten some of that vitriol out of my body and I think we can actually talk intelligently about the game. We're going to talk about the refs, we're going to talk about the turnovers, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff and and try and put this in perspective and, and talk about how the Steelers ended up losing this huge game in which, ironically, they probably looked better than they have the entire season against really the Super Bowl favorite in the New Orleans Saints, but alas, a little bit too little too late because of the the grave that they've dug themselves over the last few weeks. It's true. This Steelers team is a different, much different team than it was last year. And Well, actually, at the beginning of the season, and last year we sort of had the same thing. And I guess all teams should be getting better, uh, minus, minus injuries, but the Steelers really, for even these inexplicable losses, which we've tried to explain, have gotten much better, especially on defense. Yeah, they have, and they got, they're got they a little bit more consistent even on, on the offensive side. Um, when you're playing the New Orleans Saints in this day and age in the offensive uh, NFL, like I feel like the Steelers did enough on defense um, for the most part. We'll talk about their, their shortcomings, but you're right, they're peaking. You, it's so weird. The Steelers are sort of peaking at the right time, but once again, they find creative ways to lose these games. And what I mean by that is when you watch a football game, 
it, it's so much more nuanced than a basketball game. And, and that's not taking anything away from basketball. It's just the different types of sports they are. In basketball, it's like you got to put the ball through the hoop 50 times. Whoever puts it in more and plays better defense, they win. And it's just it's very binary. Did it go through the hoop or not? Football's weird because one play can change the whole game. A weird bounce can change the game, um, both in terms of just a score swing like a, a fumble, let's say if you fumble the ball and you're going in for a field goal, and then you fumble the ball, the other team gets it, they go and they score a touchdown. That's a 10-point swing right there, the three points that you would have gotten and the seven points that they got. And whereas in basketball or something, if you turn the ball over once, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you're going to go back down and score again. But what I'm trying to say there is when you watch these games, there's a difference between getting your butt kicked and actually being the more dominant team which the Steelers were in three of the, the losses they had when they had lost three in a row. And then last night against the Saints, I'd say they were pretty even. But uh, it is tough because they just turn the ball over at the wrong times and they find ways to lose games. And last night, it's getting harder and harder every season. Like I feel like it was just weeks ago, that Jacksonville divisional game, and I feel like I'm back in the same headspace right now. Well, look, when you turn 50, everything gets hard. You're, you're not as resilient in many ways. Physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Let's face the, uh, this isn't the elephant in the room, the frustration that we're not going to make excuses, but let's talk about the facts of the officiating. Yeah, we got to get that out of the way. It's a huge story. So I, I've pinned down sort of three major points about the game and why the Steelers lost this game against the Saints. And one of those reasons is the officiating. And one of the and the other reasons are uh, a detail with the defense and a detail with the offense. But let's start with the officiating. First things first. It's anybody who who says that phrase, "the refs never lose you a game." It there's there's a lot of merit in that, but but it's situational, right? I mean, that's just sometimes people trying to sound like intelligent football fans saying the refs. Never lose you a game. You can win the game in the first quarter or the fourth quarter and plays happen at different times. And for the most part, that's, that's correct, right? And, but then, of course, you go look at the Steelers' loss to the New England Patriots last year with the Jesse James. That's a very extreme example. Or the Des Bryant catch in the playoffs a few years ago. That was a direct loss because of the referees. So much so that when Jesse scored on the last play, the game would have been pretty basically over at that point. And the identical play occurred in the Super Bowl. To win the Super Bowl, Nick Foles to Zach Ertz. Identical. Catches it, goes over the guy, leaves it in the end zone, ball, um, once his elbows hit the ground, ball bounces out, and they call it a touchdown. And you know that was directly as a result because of what happened with Jesse James. And then after the year, they changed the rule. Purely based on that Jesse James play to try and gain more clarification because everybody knows the Steelers got cheated out of a win in that game. That's not what happened here. But there are a few reasons why they lost, and a free touchdown for the New Orleans Saints on the, one of the most egregious pass interference penalties you'll see all year on Joe Hayden. That's one of the big reasons. Fourth and one, the Steelers are going to get the ball at their own 40-yard line. Instead, Drew Brees airmails it, chokes. And sometimes he does. People don't want to talk about that. And then you, you don't just give them a first down. You give them a free touchdown. That's massive. And then in the last drive of the game, with the Saints, well, the, the last Saints drive, the Steelers stopped the Saints. They stopped them. They did their job. And they get a ticky-tack pass interference call. And I know some people might say it's pass interference. Uh, I can't remember if it was on Hayden again or who it was on, but it was, it wasn't. But at the bottom line, it was at best 
questionable. This wasn't an obvious pass interference call. This is the NFL who has an epidemic and a problem with these things, and it's affecting the outcome of the game because the Steelers would have won if they didn't call that play. It was for, that pass interference is fourth down. So is it an epidemic? Uh, I think it is, and I don't think this is bad officials. I don't think the officials get worse. They're, they're highly paid. Many of them are full-time. They have plenty of time to study this stuff. You know there are conversations going on. I think the expectations for officiating have gotten way too complicated. We're not just talking about rules. We're talking about interpretation rules. We have something called, quote-unquote, points of emphasis. Why are some things emphasized and not others? I guess when you're introducing something new about tackling technique, not head-to-head, those that's what they're calling points of emphasis. But how do you keep the rule book straight and then the interpretation of the rules in a game that's happening at warp speed? Yeah, and then there's the whole matter of, like, can I call this? I've already called this penalty twice today. Can I call it again? You know, there's a human element that goes into it. And it sort of seems like all fans and people, you know what the right calls should be. Like, a pass interference should be a blatant pass interference. You're not... The rule shouldn't be you can't lay a finger on him. That's physically impossible to cover a guy if you can't lay a finger on him. If you get there early and you hit his arms down before the ball comes, pass interference. I think we all know the difference. There are some times where it's really questionable. Someone calls something horrible, like what they called on Joe Hayden. I think everybody in America agrees that was horrendous. Of course, it always goes to the side of the offense because the NFL has an agenda to try and get higher points scoring because they think that gives them higher ratings. And that's a fact, and we know that's what they've aimed for over the years. You know, the whole rule of the the defender can't land on the quarterback's body, which is, again, most of the time physically impossible. You don't get to choose how you tackle the guy. Dudes are getting the ball out in 2.5 seconds. You get through. You might not. You're got all these guys all around you. You try and tackle the guy, and then you're falling. Gravity is happening. You can't defy gravity. Maybe Antonio Brown can, but he doesn't tackle people. And so to, to, to make that ask is ridiculous, and the NFL should know that that's ridiculous, right? They do. But why did they make that a penalty? Because Aaron Rodgers, the premier quarterback in the league, went down last year when Anthony Barr from the Vikings fell on Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? It, that, should, that sucked. People don't want to watch Packers games anymore. You lost one of your best players. They also lost Odell Beckham Jr. and J.J. Watt that year. I get it. But some of these acts are, are, are too much, and I think you're right. They're, just, they're expecting too much out of the referees right now, and they're making it too hard for them to do their job. So let's just acknowledge this is a, this is a chronic problem league-wide. The Steelers did get, uh, I mean, that, that first Joe Hayden penalty, there's, there's no doubt about that. The second one, as you said, you know, I watched it a few times. Yes, that was one of those. It wasn't as gray as it was the third. people thought. So, but, yeah. but was it uh, called at a critical time? Yeah. Fourth and one. That, so yeah. I think we got to move on from the officiating. Yeah. My head, my eyes. No, we do. Up. But I do just want to say it wasn't the officiating's fault that the Steelers lost. But for me, in the in the list of the reasons why the Steelers lost, which we will continue to list right now, it's a big one. If not the number one reason, it's up there because when you have two of the best teams in the NFL, you can say what you want about the Steelers, but they competed very well with the Saints and they just beat the Patriots. When you have two teams like that in a, in a gigantic matchup, like we said earlier. One play is the difference in a football game, and you gave them a couple, particularly that they happen on fourth downs. I don't even have a problem with the pass interference they called before the last one, and even that was seemed a little ticky-tack. But the fourth down ones, it did cause a change in the game, and you're ridiculous if you think, oh, giving them a free touchdown shouldn't matter. You should just overcome that. What are you talking? They didn't give us a free touchdown. Maybe if you canceled them out, ridiculous. 
But you're right. Moving on, refs had a factor. It wasn't everything, but it wasn't nothing either. Well, let's look at what we could have prevented, and specifically what we did to shoot ourselves in the foot defensively in the fourth quarter. We had a first and 15 from uh, New Orleans had a first and 15 from their own 30. We give a 14-yard pass to Ginn. And then uh, later on in that series, we had them at second and 19, at our 40, still outside of field goal range, and Kamara gets an eight-yard reception. Of course, that did set us up for a magnificent field goal block by um, LJ Ford. Yeah, I mean, the, the Saints moved the ball up and down, but look at that. I mean, the special teams made a huge play. They came through. Speaking of special teams, Boswell went two for two on the field goals. And uh, they're, all facets of the, of the Steelers performed well throughout the game do they perform perfect no and the biggest example is freaking third down and 20 on the last saints drive third down and 20 you know as a steelers fan and really as an nfl fan you can't feel safe with a victory you know in a one score game in the fourth quarter especially when you're playing against a drew Brees and a sean payton and a, and a saints team that can move the ball but really you know it's it's not over to the fat lady sinks it isn't but I'm going to be honest, when they got into third and 20, I had flashbacks of the Patriots game. I'm like, man, all you got if it was second and 20, sure. First and 20, sure. No, third and 20. And you let them pick up 21 or 23 yards on one play to a wide open, uncovered guy into the middle of a zone defense, Keith Butler. I'm not, uh, I have to go back and watch that play again to confirm that they were in a zone, but just the way he caught it, it did seem like they did a drop zone on that play. Just, man, he just, he has to go back to it, doesn't he? No matter how many times he gets burned, no matter how many times we do well with man-to-man. Listen, you can't run man-to-man every play, but geez, you just gave him the free cheese there. You didn't even make it difficult on them. You didn't even make them have to pick up the first down. You just gave it to them. Similarly, with 40 seconds left in the first half, when they let Kamara have a catch and run for 30, 40 yards or whatever it is, you didn't even make it hard on them. Listen, the Saints are going to go up and down the field and they're going to score, but you have to make it difficult on them. And so that third and 20 at the end of the game that the Saints converted and then they later scored um, the touchdown where Michael Thomas had an enormous push off on Joe Hayden, but we don't call offensive pass interference. We're going to go back to the refs on that one. You know, would they have even been in third and 20 if you hadn't given them the free first down on the fourth down pass interference BS call? No. So in my mind, that's where the ref things comes in, where it's like, I can't forgive a defense for not being able to get off the field on third and 20. You had an opportunity, and that's where we should be upset with the Steelers for not taking advantage of that. But in one way, it's like they already stopped the Saints, and you're going to give them this ticky-tacky pass interference call, and you're going to ask the Steelers defense to have to stop them twice? That's not realistic. So they both plays a, they both play a hand in that to me sure you got to get them off the field i think there was this uh this feeling we were blitzing too much i went back and, and looked at it. it wasn't as much as we thought of course breeze was able to take advantage of it especially when hilton was coming in it was totally ineffective he sort of yeah. like ran in and stopped but um i don't think it was as prevalent as everybody thought if you counted the number of blitzes as a matter of fact we really peeled off the blitzing in the starting in the third quarter, and it still got incredible pressure. I mean, you could just see the defense surging. It was just these these gaffes, these 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 times when we were we were giving up a twelve yard a lot of yards after catch, and then that happens to everybody. So I I, I don't know how we, how we solved that, but defense was surging, but we we 
we can't give up those big plays. The Steelers don't have the personnel to totally match up with the New Orleans Saints. The thing that scared me about playing the Saints is Alvin Kamara specifically. You know what Christian McCaffrey did to us. Uh, we've been complaining about our middle linebackers getting lined up on number one receivers and number one tight ends and stuff over the last few weeks. But when you have a running back on the field, your middle linebacker is going to have to cover them sometimes. Or when they catch it, your middle linebacker is going to have to chase them down. We do not have anyone who's going to chase down Alvin Kamara. So that long catch and run at the end of the first half was really frustrating. But, you know, sometimes you don't have the horses to make it happen. And that's why I say with this defense, we can't expect them to shut people down. That's not fair to Keith Butler or Mike Tomlin. There's not even the pieces there. Should they have developed them? That's another that's another topic. I mean, eight first-round picks in a row. You figure you could get something right. And they did, because T.J. Watt is an absolute monster. We can go into that later. But um, I, I got to say, I thought that Keith Butler and Mike Tomlin had their best two defensive games uh, of the year here against the Patriots and the Saints. And they were much braver using man-to-man coverage against both of them. Against the Patriots, they did a ton of disguising of coverages and switching at the last second to try to confuse Brady which we hadn't seen them do a lot of that over the year. They've been doing it all year. The kind of, excuse my French, but the trick em and dick em style of defense, which we said halfway through the year when they started doing these blitzes a lot more frequently with the corners and stuff, the, they started getting home more. You don't want to rely on blitzes, but then the Steelers, they don't have the horses to just, to just get through, or they didn't at the beginning of the year, and they started doing the blitzing, and it started working. You had to give them credit. Then against the Saints, those blitzes were not working, and like you said, though, to their credit, they adjusted in the second half, and they stopped doing that. And we did get some pressure from the front four, but regardless, you know, it's frustrating that why do you have to wait to play the Patriots and, and the Saints to roll out these defensive game plans? But that being said... Um, the slow learner. They had, a, they had a lot of chances, particularly in the, in the end of the game, to, uh, to ice it as a Steelers defense, and... Um, didn't get it done. And uh, we, could, we could point to the other side of the ball and say the same. Yeah, the offense had a few massive opportunities. So here was a sequence that was, uh, it was pretty uh, inspiring. It lit me ablaze with the spirit of football at this point. At the end of the first half, the Steelers go, is that the 97-yard driver? They go whatever, however many yards. They score a touchdown at the end of the half. We give it back to the defense. Hey, it's 40 seconds. You guys got this, right? Oh, no, you don't? Okay, thanks for the free three points for the Saints there. That's okay. The Saints get the ball at halftime. They get the ball. They go down. They score a touchdown. Steelers are now down two scores. They're down by 10 points. And we were saying in the room at that point, the Steelers need to go down the field and they need to score a touchdown. We cannot have a field goal here. They need to keep the New Orleans Saints within one score. So they get the ball. Is this one where we started at the 25-yard line? Second half, Correct. first drive. Yeah. Go all the way down the field, nine plays, 80 yards, touchdown to A.B. A, the offense is ablaze. That's two drives in a row for Steelers touchdowns. We don't see that very often. What does the defense do next? By God, they force him into a three and out. Must have been the first one of the day. And what does the offense do? They score again. Three touchdown drives in a row with the defense actually pulling their weight at one point and getting a three and out. What what does the defense do after the Steelers get that third touchdown? Another three and out. This is the point where we said we can step on their throats. I'm beginning to think we can win this game if we keep going. 
I never feel like we can win a game. I mean, I always feel like we can win, but I never think a game is sealed in the third quarter or anything like that. Just seen it too many times, right? But I mean, we can change it right now. Let's do it! Everybody at home, close your eyes. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Let him go. He's on a roll. No, it wasn't. Well, no, it is over, and it's very sad. But the defense forces three and out. The Steelers are driving. I don't feel like a game is in hand in the third quarter. Or what... I guess what time was it? Was the fumble? Where is it? Do you have the drive chart? Yeah, right here. I have it memorized, but yeah, there you go. I guess it was the very beginning of the fourth quarter. Still, same thing. But despite my feelings of not being able to win a game at that point, I, th- I realized we can step on their throats here. And if you score a touchdown, you're going to get it. And they had eight plays, 40 yards. They got to the New Orleans 34. You're basically in field goal range. A little touch and go with the boss man back there, but... There's, uh, it gets the third down and two. Hand the ball off to the Riddler. You have one job, Riddler. The guy fumbles. There's 11 men in the box. We're in a jumbo formation. You need to put both hands on the football. The guy has one hand on and a cornerback punches it out. Ridley's cut. If he's, I mean, he's not actually cut. He'll be cut. Do not come back to Pittsburgh, Riddler. We love you. But not, I'm kidding. We don't love you anymore. You're the new fumbler. Fitz, Fitzgerald Toussaint. Fitz came back. They let Fitz in. Fitz, Fitz is relieved. Let it be known. As of today. He's out of purgatory. The role of the fumbler has been transferred. Fitzgerald Toussaint, you are free man. Stephen Ridley. I pronounce you the fumbler. I'm sorry. The Riddler becomes the fumbler. Dark day indeed. But Mike Tomlin said that they were planning to go for it on fourth down since they were sort of in the territory at the New Orleans 34 where it's a little bit long for a field goal. But, you know, if you turn the ball over on downs, it's not that bad of a field position to give the Saints, you know? And that's why I was curious why they came out in a jumbo formation on third and two. I don't Like, that just seems a little bit too far to just pack everyone in, you know? But I guess Tomlin was planning to go for it. If not, well, Ridley took care of that and he fumbled. And then the Saints go all the way down the field, and by God, we block the field goal. Amazing. So you could say that the Riddler fumble, excuse me, that the Fumbler's fumble ended up kind of being a wash because the defense and the special teams was able to stop the Saints, but it's the point of uh, the points that we could have had. And he did gain a yard on that play, so if you were going for it on fourth down, it's fourth down and one. And I'll take the Steelers' chances in that scenario. I know it's not guaranteed, but the chances are high. So even though the Saints didn't score, the, the Steelers could have stepped on their throat a little bit more, and they could have taken more time off the clock, and the, although it was probably a little too early for that. But So huge mistake by the Riddler. And of course it happens. Did you think of Fitzgerald Toussaint the, the instant it happened? I did. You did? Yeah. It's I, fresh in my head. The ball came out, and I just, yeah. ah, are we back in Denver? Yeah, it's like... Uh, Nom flashbacks. I mean, we'll my life is pretty about- privileged. That's my my version of Nom. <laughs> it's the divisional against the Broncos, but you know, you've had a rough life. Hey, look. And so then, it's what do the Steelers do with the ball with six minutes left? Six minutes and thirteen seconds left. Get well, up. I'm glad you asked. They immediately throw a five six yard slant to AB. Like, okay, man, he's going off. We got him. I think that was catch number thirteen or so. And then on second down, Ben fades back to pass, and another backup running back fails the Steelers. Jalen Samuels. My God. It, it didn't look like he wanted to play football. He thought that he was out 
for the figure skating tryouts. He thought that it was mostly about dipsy doos and agility and and uh, not crashing into your fellow man because the linebacker placed right up the middle, 56 or someone, whoever it is on the Saints, some nameless stupid linebacker. And Samuels ducks his shoulder at the guy, and the guy laughs at him while he's running by him, completely unimpeded. He didn't slow down even a fraction of a mile per hour and just crush his bend. It looks like LeBron coming in for a dunk. Yeah, Samuels, I'm, I'm not having any part of that. Please, sir. Terrible. He put his head down. Wanted no part of that. And it gave me a little bit of flashbacks to Connor last year. Rookies have a lot of trouble adjusting to pass blocking in the NFL. But usually, uh, oftentimes it comes from like a identification standpoint. Like they don't know which guy to block. Well, he knew which guy to block. He just didn't want to do it. Or he, he was scared is what it seemed like. Do I think a professional running back is scared in an NFL game? Not really. But the way he ducked his head, it looked pretty bad. Or I guess he was just trying to take out his legs. But you got to, I don't know, sacrifice yourself, man. Fall on the landmine. Big Ben's back there. You actually have to hit his legs. You do have to hit his legs. I think that he just actually, missed. I think he whiffed. Think yeah. He, he turned his head away. Terrible job. Terrible job. And then Ben gets sacked and we get into third and 15. Then after that, they get about 10 yards to AB. We end up in fourth and five. And now, everybody, we get to talk about one of the favorite topics of the day, the Mike Tomlin decision to fake the punt. So how much time was left at this point? Four minutes left in the game, basically. Fourth and five from our own 37-yard line. Couple things running through my mind here. You're going to punt it to them, and they're going to be able to wind down the whole clock. They're going to get the ball around their 30 or 20, and they're going to they're gonna move the ball. I mean, and that's even not, no offense to the Steelers' defense, but this is a really good team you're playing. They're going to move it, and we're not going to have time to make a comeback. Funny enough, Mike Tomlin admitted that he thought the same thing in the, in the press conference after the game. So he figured, we're going to go for it. If we don't get it, they're closer to our end zone, so if they score, it will leave a little time for the offense. I, I love that strategy. That's a great idea, and it, it worked. We had a minute 30 left, and if Juju, golden boy, we love him, but if he didn't fumble, the Steelers could have tied that game or won that game at the, end of the, at, the end of the, at the end of the game. So it was a good strategy. I just hate the call. If it was fourth and one or fourth and two, and you're going to snap it to your fullback who has you know three carries on the year, I'm fine with that. But it was fourth and five. So if your strategy was really just give the Saints the ball at your 37-yard line, just bring the offense out and let Ben throw. The guy dominated. He's 33 for 50, 380 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. I'll take the chances there. Or if you have to fake it, if you must, if you want to trick him and dick him some more, you got to throw. It's just a little too far for a run. Bruce Gadkowski tweeted out after the game that they had the perfect look for that. But I just don't. So when do you rely on a run play to get five yards guaranteed? That's just not sustainable. So I love the idea from Tomlin. I hate the call. Maybe uh, I think he thought that uh, he was taking them by surprise, but uh, five yards is a lot of surprising. Yeah, exactly. So I give him credit for that, for for thinking that way. You know, let's leave time for our offense. But well, it kind of to- as you said, I mean, we're just questioning process. Not, I mean, you can question calls. I think there's a good basis for questioning that call. How, how often does uh, Rosie Nix even run it when he's in the backfield? So, but it did work out. The Saints appropriately scored right. with enough time left. And then, you know, it just, 
is so sad. Look at these numbers. The heroes of the Steelers, the offensive line, they played great. There were three sacks, but one of them was kind of next to the line of scrimmage, and one of them was really on Jalen Samuels. The Saints were sort of around Ben all day, but that Steelers offensive line, they're the bomb, and they played great in a big game. And then the heroes, Ben, A.B., and Juju. How many times do we have to watch games at the end of the season where Ben and A.B. put the team on their back with another friend, whether it's Le'Veon or Martavis or now Juju, just all for naught? Look at these stats. Ben Roethlisberger, 33 of 50, 383 touchdowns, no picks. A.B. in a beautiful vintage A.B. game that was so much fun to watch. It's more fun watching the Steelers when Ben is throwing to A.B. on every play. It's just, it gives you the swag of a thousand victorious armies. It's brilliant. You feel unbeatable, and you basically were. A.B. goes 14 for 185 and two touchdowns. He was unstoppable. A lot of this year, so here's been the thing with A.B. He's getting double covered this year. Well, guess what? He's been double covered for six years in a row. The only difference is the Steelers never had a reliable option on the other side of A.B. Martavis was awesome, but he also would disappear at times. And he had a limited route tree. So even though A.B. was getting double teamed, the whole game plan revolved around we're going to find ways to get A.B. the ball. We're going to move him into the slot. We're going to motion him. We're going to have him run all kinds of patterns. And then Ben's goal was also, I'm just going to throw to him anyways. And it worked. And did he throw a lot of interceptions aiming for A.B.? Yes. But was it totally worth it? Completely. They were successful more than not. This year, you have a number one receiver, basically, and Juju Smith-Schuster on the other side. So Ben's strategy this year and the offense, trying to keep A.B. out of the way, is like, hey, let A.B. take those two guys, and Juju Smith-Schuster is getting the second-best corner on the team, or he's getting one-on-one all the time. We'll take that matchup, and it's worked really well. So I can't argue with it, but there's just something that feels missing. When that, that, that extra big playability, or just maybe it's a spiritual thing. When Ben's not hitting A.B., it just doesn't feel right and it felt right against the Saints do you think that the only reason Ben was able to hit AB so many times in this game is the way they deployed AB because I mean it's been there all year I I think Ben has gotten more accurate I mean he did a couple long passes but he he was throwing some tight windows and uh, AB did his thing you know the sideline tap but why this game you're totally right because we'll say this earlier you know Ben Roethlisberger obviously Greatest American athlete that has ever touched soil or or played professionally. We know this, obviously. But it wasn't just um, the strategy all year, like you're saying. That was a big part of it. You know, the A.B. getting double, let's throw Juju. But he was missing those crazy passes to A.B. through the first six or eight games. and, And it was a big news story. And it was weird. And like we said about Ben, greatest American athlete, he's a gunslinger. He's a bit of a head case. When he goes supernova, it's basically him, Rodgers, Wilson, and Mahomes. And people, they can just do things physically that other quarterbacks cannot do. Maybe probably Andrew Luck, too, is another one. 33 of 50, 383 touchdowns. Nobody's going to talk about this, but he, Drew Brees did not belong in the same category as Ben Roethlisberger last night. For their careers... Drew Brees is always going to get the nod because it's a numbers game. And Drew Brees is, without a doubt, much more consistent than Ben. He's had the benefit of an unbelievable offensive coordinator and getting to play in a dome all the time. Ben's had A.B. and Le'Veon Bell and different things. So it is what it is. Drew's more consistent across the board. But when Ben erupts, there's no one like it. But 
You're right. It's not just strategy. He was missing him early in the year. Ben's gotten more accurate. And then I think with Juju clearly hobbled during the game, Warrior, he was literally waddling around the field for 10-yard gains at a time. What a beast. With, with Juju being hobbled, I think Ben, being the gunslinger kind of shooter's mentality that he has, just sort of locked in with A.B. And he just went back to his old ways. Like, I'm giving it to A.B. Mm-hmm. no matter what. And a lot of the plays to A.B., where scrambles out of the pocket, and then you have more opportunities to just, like, find a guy and throw it to him. And I think you just look for 84 like he used to. So let's let's uh, relive that last bit of horror from <laughs> that last drive then. Yeah, three incomplete. Well, first off, I think it was A.B. who false started on the first down. And so it goes to first and 15. And at that point in the game, the Saints actually did double A.B. and Juju on every play. And Tony Romo, who is already the best broadcaster in history in terms of the information he gives you and the way that he transmits it. Um, he's always excited, but he do, you don't feel like he's rooting against your team. And he also does his research and he knows what he's talking about yeah. with the teams. But he pointed out that Juju and AB were getting doubled every play. So you have to go to Washington. Washington's getting singled up the whole time. And Ben tried to a couple of times. Nothing got close. And then they went AB, Ben. I mean, how many times have we seen this? You saw it like... Last year was the year of Ben, A.B., and Juju making miracle plays and, and with 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter and Chris Boswell hitting game-winning field goals against the Browns, against the Colts, against the Lions, Packers was the other one, and, and it was just the same thing. It was like a cake mix. It was a cake mix. Beautiful, delicious. This is a gourmet cake, that. But they, uh, yeah, Ben scrambles out to his left and then hits A.B. on what everyone said was an unbelievable toe-tap 16-yard gain to get the first down. But it wasn't unbelievable. It's totally believable. We've seen it a million times. And then he hits Juju, and then we all kind of know what happens when he hits Juju again when they were in field goal range. But, man, so what do you think about, I mean, people want to murder Mike Tomlin right now. Like I said, I don't love the the call he had on the fake punt. But other than that, I what I blame him for, and the Steelers team, because it's not just Mike Tomlin. I mean, people play bad. People They have more dropped interceptions than anyone in the league with 13. What I blame him for is the losses to the, 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 the Broncos, the Raiders, and the tie to the Tyrod Taylor version of the Browns. Because if you had won even one of those games, you wouldn't be in this situation. You would have lost last night, and it would have sucked, but you would have said... I feel good about our Super Bowl chances right now. But as far as the coaching versus the Patriots and the Saints, they did a good job. It's just annoying. It's classic Mike Tomlin. You can count on them to play to the level of their competition. Yeah, you can't. Uh, so Mike Tomlin did more good than bad yesterday. Maybe maybe you could say uh, talk about that punt fake. But I think the decision-making was solid. We actually had some timeouts. Although I, I was curious about the first timeout in the second half. That was I, bad, yeah. yeah. That was, but maybe, that, I'm not sure who to hang that on, but it the wasn't damn. Mike Tomlin. You can't coach uh, these 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 fumbles. I mean, you can't coach that out of Those are execution right. problems. Uh, generally, I think even, like you were, you were pointing out, we were pointing out before, in, in, as much as I still question whether Butler should be in Pittsburgh, he did make an adjustment. I thought the front line got... Great pressure. These gaffes, though, that, that these these chunk yards that allows them to stay in a drive have to be corrected, and that, that was a problem. Yeah, and Butler, especially that the, the third and 20 with the zone call, I mean, that's inexcusable, and he's done it so many times. And 
And maybe the question with Butler and them is more like maybe you just don't know how to develop a defense because you've had so many high-round draft picks. And a lot of them have been very questionable picks. I mean, Artie, Edmonds, and Bud were all reaches. Those were all super projects. So maybe, you know, you got to blame Kevin Colbert for some of this as well, for as many great finds he's had on offense. And and T.J. Watt, by the way, T.J. Watt, thank God. He's becoming an elite pass rusher. We yeah. said in the first half of the season he's 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 good. He's getting but he's getting hustle sacks. And he's playing well, but it's not like he's beating his man. He's been dominating for about 4 weeks in a row. That is very encouraging for us to see, but yeah, I just don't think there's a lot of coaches that are better than Mike Tomlin. Like who are you going to take, you know? So regardless, um we can get into more of that, but uh, it's amazing that I'm t- I wasn't talking this calm, if you call this calm, for the past day, because my heart feels like it was ripped into shreds by a grizzly bear and his family. And I had just enough life force where I actually had to watch them cook said heart and eat it in front of me. Like an Aztec. Before I died, yes. But uh, yeah, it just, it hurts so bad, this Super Bowl window closing, and now... We're all Browns fans for one week. Come on, Brownies. They're going to beat the Ravens. He definitely helped us in our fantasy team. Come on, Baker. <laughs> so Mike Tomlin gave a classic uh, Tomlin-esque presser after after the game yesterday. Just uh, We made our bed. They're, they're just a plethora yeah. of uh, cliches that he pulled out there. I, I Again, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot. You want to blame somebody, let's blame the officiating. Let's go higher. <laughs> let's go br- blame Roger Goodell. Oh, he sucks. He's, 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 this is still that's a James Harrison getting, issue. And that's why he's getting paid $40 million to be a lightning rod for these guys. Yeah, that's a lot of people talk about that. That is sort of the job. It's the job. <laughs> um, it's just being the punching bag. But, you know, the Steelers... It was inspiring. It, it just sucks to lose this this way, and especially when it's tainted with the kind of the ref stuff. Like I said, you guys, don't. we're not trying to tell you that it was only the refs, but don't let people tell you that that wasn't a large reason for the loss, right, when you're in a game that close. But there were other large reasons for the loss, too, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And like you said, execution, people dropping the ball out of their hands when they should not do that. But otherwise, we'd be sitting here with... One of the better Steelers games I can ever remember watching. It was so inspiring. I just hate seeing Ben and AB in this line do the things they do at the end of the season. Even if you look back at that Patriots championship game where we got slaughtered, where it was just AB and the, and the, and the four Stooges out there with Colby Hamilton and Sammy Coates, Ben was killing at that game. Sammy Coates dropped a 50-yard touchdown on like one of the first plays, and you just see him show up in these big games and you'd like to see him be more consistent over the course of the season but it just hurts when you when you see these inspiring performances by your guys and they get wasted and really we have to look at the season as the sum of all its parts and and all I think about today is losing the stupid games that you shouldn't lose and it happens every single year without fail and if you didn't lose those games if you didn't think that you could beat the Raiders with Josh Dobbs semi-professional running back at quarterback, then you we wouldn't have a problem today. You'd be in a great situation going into the playoffs. Still going to win the AFC North, play a home playoff game, and your team is, is on all cylinders. So I don't want to get to talking about offseason already because I'm depressed and, you know, another year of Ben's career, but we still got the Browns. Hey, look, it was an entertaining game, and, and with the light of 
12 hours between us and the and the game, it, it is a little easier to talk about. It was kind of fun to watch. I mean, it did, like I said at the beginning, it raised hope that we tried not to have. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, we had no expectation. So, as you said, we are Browns fans for one week next week, Woo. and we have the Bengals coming into town, which hopefully... That's not going to be a question uh, about victory. Oh man, it's the Steelers. You got to assume that they're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So let's... I think. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I don't have a mute button here. We're in the same room. But um, the thing is, the Steelers do have something to play for this week. So I think, and being at home, that's great. Side note: Ben's road splits have been better than his home stats. Well, he's the home road splits. It's been better. Uh, I think about PFF posted that yesterday before the game, and then. This is probably his best game this year, outside of this one and the Panthers. We like playing the AFC, the NFC South. Um, so, pretty crazy. That's nice to see that he sort of fixed that up. But uh, the Steelers do have something to play for. You do worry about a team who had, who just played two unbelievably emotionally draining games. What kind of letdown you're going to have when the Bengals come in and they're trash and they have a backup quarterback and this is prime Mike Tomlin time to play down to them. But at least the Steelers do have something to play for because if they win and the Browns, who I give about a 20 to 25% of beating the Ravens, they beat them once already. It's in Baltimore. The Ravens know they have to win to get into the playoffs. But the Browns, if they win, they get their first winning season in 112 years. So that's a lot to play for. That was two years before the NFL started? Yeah, they, they, oh. they still take credit for that winning season. Otto Graham, I think, was still the quarterback at that time. But you're saying there's a chance, and hopefully the Steelers will take care of their end of the bargain. And hey, who knows, maybe we'll luck out and roll into the playoffs. And for all the people saying we don't have a good enough defense to make a run, are there any good defenses outside of Baltimore? Yeah, it worries me, of course. But Steelers have played some pretty good games the past two weeks. So as you said, there is hope. Um, hopefully, uh, there is hope we have that you're looking at our new Instagram site. We posted a couple of skits on there. We'll, we'll try not to be too cheesy about it. But uh, we need to express ourselves, people. And please give us, express yourselves. Give us feedback on the Instagram site. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. You can leave a note on our website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. There, there. All right, until next week, thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.